Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're going to talk about being over-exuberant when the market goes up and you think you're making all this money if you have money in the stock market. Joining me today is Dr. Susan Laubach. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. I've talked a little bit about how people panic when the stock market tanks and everybody's like, oh, I should get out of the stock market now. And sometimes they wind up selling at a loss. But you're talking about the opposite effect where every other day, it seems like the market is reaching record territory in the high range and people kind of freak out because of that as well. So tell me a little bit more about that. Well, uh, we call it irrational exuberance, and it happens when people who are either not in the market hear about this wonderful place where they can double their money in 10 days or whatever, um, and it, it all reason goes out of their heads. Uh, then we also um, find that people are always, in my opinion, too willing to pay too high a price. So I have... It's a rule that comes in my book. I have these rules embedded in fairy tales to make them easier to remember. But the one on rational exuberance also contains a little formula to see if you're paying too much if you're entering into the market. Now, if you are already invested in the stock and it has soared ahead, I always like to take off the table what you put in and leave the remainder to go along with whatever may come. Uh, But if you take off the table what you put in, perhaps even 10% more, you've made your profit and you are still participating if if it has risen to that degree. I love that idea. I never even occurred to me. It is something I do. I don't gamble very often, but every once in a while, you know, I'm on vacation and hit a table and I'm a cheapskate. I pay with, I play with like 20 bucks. As soon as I make more than my $20, I take that 20 bucks and put it back in my pocket. Yeah. And then I play with just whatever's left over until it's gone. And then I walk away and I've not lost any money at all because I still have the $20 I started with. And you're conservative and you're a happy investor and you had a good time. Yeah. And, and you can just use that same discipline in the stock market. So I know you have these tips to try to remember, okay, if I'm already in the stock market and it's going higher, how do you tell people to calm down that irrational exuberance? How do you get them to actually calm their brains down so they don't make a mistake? Well, I would say the mistake is not necessarily selling too soon if you've made your profit. The mistake is holding on for too long, the the greed aspect of it. I I can only 
ask people to sit back, take a breath, look at the price relative to its anticipated growth rate and see how far away they are from that. Now, if the anticipated growth rate, according to research analysts, is, let's just take an example, is a 20%. Now, that's a wildly enthusiastic growth rate yeah. uh, for the next three to five years uh, into a company that is uh, well-known. It's not a fly-by-night organization. Uh, you have gone into it because you understand what it makes and how it makes its money. Now, if the anticipated growth rate is just 15% and it's selling at a multiple of 30 times earnings, that's expensive because the multiple is saying to you either we don't care or it's going to grow 30%. Now, you know from analysts that it's not going to grow 30%, but that's what these people who aren't paying all that much attention or people who are wildly exuberant are pricing the stock up to that kind of degree. There are some really good quality companies, AA rated quality companies that will always sell at a premium multiple. They will always sell if it's 15% anticipated earnings. They will always sell at 20 times earnings because people know it's reliable and it's a plus rated quality. And so they're willing to pay that price to get that quality. Value line, good old, dear old value line, will tell you if it's had a premium multiple for the last several years. For those people who either are just getting into the stock market, it's new to them, or they're not there yet, they're listening going, well, how do I know when to buy? Can you please explain what premium multiple, the multiple yes. is? Yes. Uh, yes, I shouldn't be using uh, the terms that I'm using because there are a lot of people who are interested in getting into the market right now who don't have this language yet. Um, a multiple refers to the price divided by the earnings per share. Price slash earnings. P-E. It's, it's represented uh, on paper as a P slash E. And that slash denotes dividing. So the P divided by the E is the multiple. The price per share, maybe it's $10 divided by the earnings per share at this moment, let's say it's $1, the earnings for the past year were $1, that's a multiple of 10. Okay. So does that, does that make sense? Yes. If it's a $20 price and it's selling at $1 earnings for the past year, that's a 20 multiple. By the way, that's also called the PEG ratio. That when when people hear that particular term, uh, you don't want them to be unnerved by it. The PEG ratio is just the P-E should be equal to the growth rate in earnings. Okay. This is a perfect place to take a break. When we come back, we'll go into how do we help the people who aren't in the stock market at all? We've been kind of dealing with those of us who already are. Yes. We'll be okay. right back with Dr. Susan Lawbox. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the 
show that talks about all things money. Today we're talking about irrational exuberance and what that means if you are trying to get into the stock market or maybe you already are. Joining me today is Dr. Susan Laubach and you've written a book called Rumpelstiltskin Rules for Making Your Farthings Grow. In there you were you were saying that you use fairy tales as a way to teach about their money and different financial lessons. One of these things, I'm just kind of focusing in on the one, the irrational exuberance. If I'm not in the stock market, how does that affect me if I finally decide to jump in and I hear about like Bitcoin right now or any type of cryptocurrency actually right now? Is I can see the young folks, they don't have a lot of experience even kind of watching the stock market, but cryptocurrency that is big for their generation that is the big thing and i know i agree with you we're talking hot thing yeah and (laughs) they just go great i'm gonna buy yeah well i would ask them to sit down and take a breath uh because i'm talking as a person who's been in the market for more than 30 years and it's easier for me perhaps to have the long view than it is for somebody who's 20 years old uh, but I, I stress that in my opinion, I'm talking to you and them about investing, not playing the market, not trading, day trading. Uh, that to me, that's not investing. That's your going to the tables, as you have, you illustrated earlier, putting your 20 bucks down and hoping you make it with a spin. That's what that is. But investing is something entirely different, which requires a cooler head. And I have taught people all the way from eight years old up to 90 years old. And I have come to believe that people would rather read a good story and take away from the good story whatever little piece of information is hidden in there then they would like to memorize rules or go read a a textbook on investing. And so, therefore, I wrote this book, which is seven retellings in a very silly fashion of famous fairy tales. And in those, I have embedded things that I consider to be really important rules, really important ways to places to put your head before you call up and say, I want to buy a 100 shares. whatever. And if I may, the rules always start with how does a company go public? The company you may be interested in may not even have stock available for you to buy. So I just have this little fairy tale to begin with, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, uh, on how to go public, how a company goes public. Uh, But then the rules continue and I will read them very quickly so that people can get an idea of of where uh, we are going to be situating ourselves before getting into the stock market. Slow but steady wins the race. Get started and keep going. So many people that I know have pots of money somewhere that came in from someplace and they are so nervous about getting into the stock market that they just watch it going up, up, up. And the day they get in is the day it'll go down. (laughs) Forget all of that and just get started and keep going. And I tell that story through the turtle and the hare. 
The second is really important. You're talking to a stockbroker or an advisor of some kind. Always ask, what can go wrong? Now, they'll always tell you what can go right. Oh, yeah. What can go wrong? Will this stock be influenced by interest rate hikes? Will it be influenced by government regulation? You still may buy the stock, but at least you understand what can go wrong. And in your mind, you can determine, well, that's a short-term thing, or that might mean I don't want to get into it. Right. I always want people to understand the difference between being a loaner to a company and an owner of a company. That's the difference between buying a stock and investing or loaning to a company, and that's a bond. Always know how a company makes its money. I always go back to good old value line or a good stockbroker and advisor. And then we've already talked about not paying too much for a company. I think that a company's shares don't pay too much for a company's shares. But the final thing is be sure to manage your investments. In other words, I don't mean you go out and make the, make the uh, changes, but manage your expectations is what I should say. Manage your expectations. Just because for a period of time, the market went up 26% and your stock didn't, you have to realize that that 26% was probably from January 1st to January 21st. You've got to be realistic about it and say, what am I happy with? What are you happy with, by the way, when it comes to your investments? What are you happy with? A total return of 5% after tax? Well, I've been very fortunate in the last 10 years, even through the little dip that we had. My investments have been making, on average, 13%. You are extraordinarily successful as an investor. And uh, I assume that is not after tax? That's, that's pre-tax? That is pre-tax. Okay. So just taking your tax situation out of there, you are doing extraordinarily well. I would like to counsel people to be realistic with all the things that are coming up in the future and to say to themselves, well, you know, if I make a total return of 7% every year, damn, that's good. Yeah. I've told people as well. I said, my results are kind of exceptional. I've just been very cautious about where I put my money. And That's and I looked at the 10, and some of the areas I've invested had 30-year data. Yeah, excellent. I looked at all of that. If there was a company that had less than five years of money, I've never invested in them because mm-hmm. I want to wait what the long-term results and are. Young. Exactly, exactly. Well, you've approached it in just the right way. And the results are obvious. You've done well. I don't want anyone to be discouraged if they hear us say, or me say, 7% after tax return is really great. When you consider that every single year over the course of one's career, that's a heck of a lot of money that you have made. Oh, yeah. Manage expectations. Don't be discouraged if it doesn't do the 26% or even the 13%. Don't be discouraged uh, because your goal is for the long term. And I have one other story, and it's my stepfather. He kind of freaked out when we had the housing market crisis in 2008. Yeah. And the stock market at the time, the Dow Jones was sitting at just over 13,000 points. 
And then we had the crash and it came down to 8,000. And he's like, oh my God, like I'm, I don't have any money. I've lost all my money. I'm like, hold, just hold your horses, first of all, because he's been retired for 20 years now. Mm-hmm. When he put all the money in before he even retired, when he put it in, the stock market was at four or five thousand. Yeah. <laughs> so even though it came down to eight thousand, he still had a huge amount of points. But look at it now. I mean, you just wait ten years, and the stock market is over thirty-three thousand points. So yes, it took a dip for a bit, but it never fell below where a lot of people had already invested. Exactly right. You are so right to bring that up because that's so true. People have on paper. 20, 30% gain from when they bought it, even if it goes down 10%, they're still way ahead. Yes. So that that is just the right way to, to look at your long-term. The other thing, I had a, a mentor in the business who said to me, never sell in a panic. That's when you make the biggest mistakes. Yeah. And also one other thing on the other side of that is remembering volatility is our friend. So it, when it's volatile and you've had your eye on something and you've looked at the price earnings ratio relative to its growth rate, and it's way, way too expensive. And then another 2008 occurs. And mm, that company comes into view again. And now it's reasonable. And you've already done the research. You already know the company is one you want to own. Just remember to step in and get it. Don't sit back and wait for it to return to where it was. (laughs) Thank you so much. Dr. Susan Laubach, you are the author of Rumpelstiltskin Rules for Making Your Farthings Grow. And I love that you've tied it into fairy tales. I think most people can remember all their fairy tales anyway. And so to add a financial bit to it is perfect. The one thing I learned from you today is actually, I think I'm going to go sell some shares right now because I just sell what I put into it originally. And then let the rest of it that's already profit continue to grow. Well, thank you so much. And thank you also for mentioning my book, which is available on Amazon. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media, Money Making Sense, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.